Welcome to Something We Can Talk About. I'm your host, Megan Meredith. So far this season, we've touched on topics like finding your voice, storytelling about prom, and we've spent the past few episodes talking about and exploring meditation. We will circle back to these topics, of course, in other episodes. But for the next few episodes, I want to talk about the writing process. And I have some very special guests that I am excited for you to hear from. But if you don't mind terribly, I would like to talk myself today about my own writing process. So herein lies, that's something we can talk about, how I go about writing a book. keep this relatively short today because I want to give you a few episodes that are short and sweet because I know that my interviews will be longer. I want to touch on my own process today, but I also want to give you some advice on developing your own. So let's get started. As I was processing through my own thoughts about how I wanted to line out for you, how I have gone about and do go about writing books, I kind of was thinking back through my last seven books and then it happened. (laughs) Inspiration struck. And let me just say, it came to me in a dream. And while that sounds ultra theatrical, it literally did. And if I'm honest, it quite often happens just that way. I guess I dream a lot on average. Most of the time, it's just my subconscious working out previous events or even helping me process what I want. But every so often, I have these ultra vivid high def dreams and I wake up reluctantly and I sit up and immediately know that it's a scene in a book. And I am furiously writing it all down. And when I first started practicing my writing craft, when I first decided that this was like what I felt like I was supposed to do, I I would get everything out on paper. I would write it down literally on yellow legal notepads and I would just wait and wait and wait. And that is why it took me 10 years to finish my first novel because I kept waiting for inspiration to overwhelm me, thinking that that was the only time I could write anything good. And that is the the only time that I would write, um, sort of in that fury. It was both intoxicating and exhausting, and most of the time, super inconvenient. I think over time... I have learned that my writing is better when it's kind of equal parts inspiration and dedication, meaning that I still get those moments, those dreams where I, I feel that fury of inspiration and I dive down the rabbit hole. But the dedication part comes in when I sort of come up for air and I'm able to like breathe and refocus and even kind of use skills, kind of draw on skills that aren't necessarily natural to me, or at least it doesn't feel like it flows as easily as the inspiration kind of lightning moments where I'm plotting out points on a timeline or I'm doing research or all of that is part of my writing process. But it's things I've had to 
teach myself that kind of dedication part. And I almost choose to dive back down, but it's in a deliberate way instead of sort of this like fury way. So continuing the plot simply by continuing to write words. And so words become paragraphs and paragraphs become pages and pages become chapters. And eventually I might have a book or I might not. (laughs) I have learned, I think, along the way by lots and lots of failure, that not everything I write has to be gold or even print ready. If you follow me on Instagram, then you know that I am proficient in typos. And almost everything is never print or published ready. So let's talk about how this looks for me. For for example, this week, um, just as I described, I, I woke up kind of dream drunk, absolutely just taken with these two characters that I had just met in my dream. And I wrote it all down. And sometimes I write it all down to make sure it's not like me just regurgitating a show or <laughs> me regurgitating some book I've read or, or me regurgitating a scenario or a conversation with someone else. But I get it all out. I returned to these two people every spare moment I could afford throughout my days this week and last week. And for days I did research. I daydreamed. I wrote furiously, almost like I'm chasing the story, trying to get it out and find the ending before it disappears. And I know that sounds maybe a little weird, but that's the only way I know how to describe it. And my husband has gotten really good at noticing when I'm down the rabbit hole and he'll sort of just ask me which book I'm working on because sometimes I can be working on four at the same time or it's like I'll be in the middle of one book really dedicated to getting it done and I'll have that kind of inspiration lightning moment and I start a whole new book and I have to chase that one down for a little bit and he'll He'll know that that means that maybe for the next week or so, he'll find me up early in the morning, 4 or 5 a.m., kind of writing before the kids get up, or I'll disappear after they go to bed and I won't watch TV with him. I will just write until it's late in the night and it's like, you need to go to sleep. (laughs) So inevitably, things stall because that lightning moment fades or, or I have to engage with real life, you know, heaven forbid, <laughs> I have to come back out of the rabbit hole and, and do real things, my real job and feed my family and th- things like that. And when that happens, inevitably like it does, I just start over at the beginning and I'll come back to it and I'll read what I've written. Um, and sometimes that just reignites kind of the wheels turning, but sometimes the read-throughs leave me, I know this week, there are times that I've read it and and it leaves me excited and kind of pensive because this thing, if it is a thing, is way outside my normal range of motion. But other read-throughs leave me embarrassed and thinking that this is the stupidest thing I've ever attempted. But the thing I've learned is not to give up, to not give up on the characters or conversations or the scene or even, you know, the possibility that lies within the plot to to just keep being curious about it and keep showing up to it and and see what happens with it. You know, sometimes, um, especially this week, I have hit return like seven times, just kind of like start a new page almost, you know, and and I write something to the effect of like delete everything above in parentheses and I just start the whole encounter over. Same story, same characters, just a different approach because I don't like where that was going or I didn't like 
the tone he was taking or whatever. And I just, I have to trust, and this is a learned thing, I have to trust that I just keep writing and I just keep listening, almost as if they're real people, just like listening to them and their conversation. And I know that the story will eventually kind of work itself out of me. And I know that sounds kind of weird too. Like it's not, it's like this third party thing, but that's sometimes how it feels. And and we will touch on that in a minute. I know that there's also times where I need to walk away from it. And I think that's important too, is knowing when to sort of put it down, um, to do more research or to reset my scenery or I watch, sometimes I watch a similar genre movie, or I listen to my favorite composer, who is Hans Zimmer, or simply literally walk away from it, leave it on the table and just walk away from it. I go work out, I go make lunch or whatever, and I can come back to it with fresh eyes. It reminds me of doing a puzzle, and I'm not very proficient in puzzling, (laughs) if that's a verb. But my family likes puzzles and my friends like puzzles. And sometimes when we go over to their house, you'll just see, you know, a new puzzle out on the the kitchen table or the dining room table. And um, you just know that you have the freedom to sort of like hover around it for a second and just see like if you spot a piece that's been missing or you're able to finish that border or whatever. And it's not like this pressurized thing. It's just like everybody has the freedom to kind of come to it with fresh eyes and see what pieces together, you know? And that's kind of the approach that I take sometimes with with writing is that sometimes you need to walk away from it and just leave it on the table and then come back to it and look at it every once in a while and go, oh, yeah, I've been looking for that piece. Or, oh yeah, look, there's that framework for the whole entire plot that I couldn't quite see, you know? And and I think that's refreshing. Um, but not everybody has that luxury, but I find that it is a luxury when it comes to indie publishing, which is what I'm into, um, is that I have the freedom to do this. I make my own deadlines and timelines, and I don't have to crank out a certain number of books unless I want to. I have had to learn how to sort of force myself to sit down and write to sort of coax the story out, but I'm glad I don't have someone else, someone at the top of the food chain who's holding a deadline or even a paycheck over me, making me write from this kind of place of intimidation or obligation that I'm able to find that balance for myself between that sort of lightning moment and true discipline. And and I think that works best for me. There's a certain ebb and flow to it, and I honestly enjoy that. I know in general, I try to journal several times a week, if not every day, just to practice getting stories out, um, to practice my own voice and cadence, to kind of keep my tone authentic. And sometimes I have story ideas at the most random times. I keep you know, notes on my phone and I keep paper napkins in my car and I kind of always keep a notebook with me wherever. And sometimes I audio record messages to myself for later. And sometimes that stuff becomes something, but sometimes it just gets saved away as like writing prompts for Patreon or something else. I have folders on my computer that are literally just for book starters. And in those times where it feels like things kind of stall out And if I feel like I'm lacking motivation or it's like, maybe this isn't going anywhere, sometimes I'll just go back and read those files and those story starters 
Um, and sometimes that gets the wheels going like, oh, it's kind of empowering to think like, oh, look, I do have all of these ideas and I haven't made anything out of them yet. And maybe they won't ever become anything, but I have ideas coming to me regularly. And so sometimes you can, you know, you kind of feel like, oh, maybe I'm just the, after my first book, it was like, well, maybe you're just a one book wonder, you know, (laughs) not that I was a wonder, but one, maybe I only had one good idea or maybe I only have seven or whatever. It's good every once in a while to just go back to your ideas. Even if the ideas don't become anything, it's like, oh, look, I do have ideas. So more often than not, it's that revisiting things that gets the wheels turning and it can kind of restart work on a book that has fizzled. One of the books that I read this year that I really, really enjoyed was called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And you may recognize her name from Eat, Pray, Love. And in Big Magic, she refers to inspiration and creativity as almost this outside universal force. Like it kind of like what I mentioned, that third party thing, like it visits you every once in a while and you have this sort of moment with it, you know, and while I don't fully buy into that perspective in one sense, it was a really helpful thought path for me because it allowed me to think about inspiration or creativity as something that one needs to have a relationship with. And much like any relationship, we have to develop it and maintain it. Relationships are very individualistic for obvious reasons. So my relationship with inspiration will not and does not have to look like yours or hers or his. And you will hear in my conversations with my next guest what works for them and how it started versus how it's going and even things that hinder their relationship with inspiration and creativity. So I suppose when it comes to giving out advice on developing a writing habit or a process, that this would be kind of threefold in my mind. Number one is just to see what's on the other side. Being willing to sort of move beyond, you know, your fear. Imagine that you're literally peering into a movie set or another world altogether. And if if you were doing that, you would be super curious and you would be noticing, you know, the, the setting and the costumes and the dialogue and the lighting. and Or if it was another world, you would be curious about the vegetation and the sky and the water and the, you know, the customs and things like that. And so as we create, as we get creative, we have to be willing to look past our fear of failure and even criticism enough to be able to get curious about what is just past that, what's on the other side of fear. And usually, if not always, the very best stuff is just on the other side of being afraid. And I know that creativity is sort of this loaded word sometimes, and people will always say to me, oh, I'm just, I'm just not creative, or I could never do that, or whatever. And number one, that's sort of self-limiting, but number two, It's also, I think, just because creativity has this certain loaded stigma to it where it's like, well, I'm not Van Gogh, so I don't even try. Instead of just being willing to see what's on the other side of whatever wild idea you just had or whatever dream you had, or sometimes it literally starts by just keeping, I keep dream journals. Like I just write down my dreams because sometimes that's even stuff you can draw on later. It's literally, it is regurgitation, but sometimes the way your mind kind of warps it and turns it into this dreamlike sequence 
can be something that you can draw on later because we do draw the best stuff from what we know. And so I find that keeping track of my dreams is really helpful. I think the second thing is knowing that you can delete it. (laughs) And that's super practical, but I have locked up more than once just sitting down to a story that I'm trying to develop, feeling this pressure to sort of write what I would call like this Midas level work where where I think that all of my words have to turn to gold. But the trick is just to start. It's literally to open up the laptop, pull out that document, and just stare at it for a while. Like that's a start in and of itself. And know that you can come back to it and you can delete words and those ill-placed commas, which I am really good at. (laughs) I'm really good at ill-placed commas. And the whole page, if you want, you can delete a whole chapter, you know, and sometimes paragraphs and pages aren't meant to see the light of day. Sometimes paragraphs and pages and documents and journaling, especially, is just to help you get the words out and your story out. It's just for backstory. That never really goes in the story. It's just for you to know what that character's been through and and how they got that sort of tone in their life and how they move about the world this way and whatever. And so it's not that stuff doesn't have to be print ready. It doesn't have to be good even. It's just stream of consciousness backstory or stream of consciousness thought. And it's not necessarily for the whole world to read. The third thing is that courage is always rewarded. If you put those things, two things together and you're, and you're moving forward and you're seeing what's on the other side and you're less afraid and knowing that you can delete it, you're showing up anyway, that courage is always rewarded and it's not public. And that's not really what I'm referring to. Like people aren't going to be like, oh my gosh, you're so courageous. You're so brave to write. Like people don't say that. I'm talking more about that inner reward for trusting yourself, that those moments where you find your voice just a little bit more or inspiration starts to flow simply because you showed up, you sat down and you started typing and that's the reward. The story is the reward. Valuing your own voice is the reward. I think one of the greatest things that I have learned, both as a writer, as a yoga instructor, and even just as a human, is that there is this importance of getting things out of the body. And I kind of talked about this, about, you know, kind of just like allowing the story, like chasing down the story and just like coaxing it out of me or allowing it out, you know, giving it permission to come out is that we store so much in our bodies. Our bodies keep score, you know, and sometimes it's things that are crying out to get out, that need to be out, that need to be faced, that need to be noticed or spoken. Sometimes that's our own stories. And we'll talk about this more in a later episode, learning to tell the story of you. Sometimes it's emotions, We can store stress in our necks and our shoulders and unresolved feelings and emotions in our hips. Sometimes it's an idea and we're afraid of it because we're afraid of that failure and we're afraid of criticism. I once read that untapped creativity, or another way of saying that is that denied creativity manifests itself as rage. And that may seem a tad extreme, like rage, like really, you went straight to rage? Well, (laughs) probably not. It probably festered for a long stretch as other things 
before it manifested itself as anger and frustration. And sometimes that importance of journaling or locking yourself away with your computer or just doing something creative, even if it's not natural creativity, it's just like doing something creative, cooking, drawing, coloring, whatever that looks like for you. Sometimes just giving your creativity that avenue helps get it out, you know, and it's not then manifesting itself. And that's why I journal and I keep track of my dreams because it's a, it's stuff that's never going to see the light of day. And, and I have plenty of that stuff, but it helps to get it outside my body. And whether it's emotions, our own stories, or a wild fictional tale, which I love me a good wild fictional tale. It can be very empowering and cathartic to get it outside your mind in some form and just like witness it. And then you get to decide what to do with it. You get to read your own words. And again, that's that moment of payoff where you read your own words and you hear your own voice and your tenure and your cadence and you begin to trust yourself. And then you get to decide what to do with it. Maybe it turns into a book or a poem a podcast or a blog post, or maybe it literally gets locked away and is not ever to be read until after you're gone. And that's a tad dramatic, but you get the idea that you get to decide what to do with it. You get to decide at what pace that you write and you get to decide how to develop your relationship with inspiration. All that to say, if you're ready to develop that relationship with inspiration and your own creativity My last piece of advice is just to not be afraid to try new things. Or if you are afraid, (laughs) do it anyway. Even if you're a little bit afraid, go sit in a restaurant and listen. Go sit in nature and just notice. Travel, experience new things and scenery and people. And just get curious Ask questions to other people that are different than you and experience the world different than you simply to hear their answer, not even to respond, but just to understand new things and just see what happens. Know you can delete it and trust that courage is always rewarded. Thank you so much for joining me today. As always, I am thrilled that you are here. What a weird, wonderful world that we live in that I can record my voice and we can connect over the internet about all kinds of things. It is incredible to me that talented, brilliant people like Michael Curtis can write and create music. Michael Curtis of Produced by MKC is our sound engineer and wrote the amazing music that you hear on every episode. I want to thank my patrons. Your support of this space allows me to create more creative content for this space. And I hope that you find it helpful and encouraging and empowering. I'm grateful to you all and I will see you next time.